Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Orca Nerd Podcast. We have yet another staple for the marine mammal world. With a PhD in biopsychology, our guest changed the world back in 2001, co-authoring a scientific study that proved whales and dolphins were self-aware. She is also the founder and president of the Whale Sanctuary Project. You may also know her as the neuroscientist from the documentaries Blackfish and Long Gone Wild. I'd like to welcome Dr. Lori Marino. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thank you very much for having me, Kaylin. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you um, before the 2001 groundbreaking study. So you obtained your Ph.D. in 1995. And I'm curious on what work you were involved in um, early in your career leading up to that uh, study. Well, for most of my career, I've been doing work on brain evolution and brain anatomy in dolphins and whales uh, by either studying uh, fossils uh, museums or uh, brains of animals who have uh, passed away naturally. Uh, and I've used a lot of imaging techniques like magnetic resonance imaging and computed tomography. And so I've been very interested in how the dolphin and whale brain evolved, how it changed in shape and size. And then in the modern brain, just what are the proportions of the different types of structures in the brain and how is that different from in humans that's so cool that is something i feel like the neuroscience world is just a whole different realm of things that i feel like we don't ever touch on as much and especially like in uh, the marine mammal world you know you were kind of the person that started everything like that that's amazing well i have to say that i do stand on the shoulder of giants although i would admit that when I started out, there were very few people, maybe uh, a couple of people <laughs> studying marine mammal brains, dolphin and whale brains. There weren't a lot anywhere, but um, there were a couple of people, uh, Peter Morgan, for instance, uh, who were the first people to, to really take a look at the brain in detail, the brain of the dolphin in detail. And actually that's what got me started uh, being so fascinated with the dolphin brain. That's fantastic. Now, what, so now did you want to do, um, neuroscience work, uh, you know, back when you were younger and everything like that? Is it something you wanted to do or is it something that just kind of came up and you decided to do that? It's something that I've always wanted to do. I've always been interested in what it's like to be another animal. And I've always been interested in how the brain relates to that. So I went in, to college studying biopsychology, did uh, some work at the Rockefeller University, and then again later on in, uh, at, at, in biopsychology. And I actually uh, was interested in studying uh, primates. I did some work with uh, chimpanzees. And it was not really on my, my uh on the table or on my radar, so to speak, to study dolphins and whales. But in graduate school, once I saw the brain of the dolphin and whale, I got very interested in it. And that's what led me to, to specialize in it. That's fantastic. So like, I would actually like to ask uh, quickly, what are some of the biggest differences between the human brain and the orca brain? The orca brain and the human brain are both large and complex brains. They both have a neocortex. But what's really different is in how their neocortex is organized, in the ways that sensory motor uh, information is mapped onto the neocortex, 
for instance, how visual information or auditory information, sound comes into the brains of dolphins or orcas and humans very different. Um, it goes to a completely different place in the human brain than in the orca brain. Um, and then when you really take a look deep down into their neocortex, that the gray matter, you see that their cells are arranged in a very different way than in primates, including humans. So they have a very different way of processing information, uh, particularly information that has to do with uh, sensory perception um, and some of the higher order uh, cognitive capacities that we think about. So let's say that somebody um, is blind, a human is blind. Now, does the orca brains kind of work differently like a blind person's brain does because they have to use their sense, like their sensories and everything like that a little bit different. Is that kind of a good? Well, um, yes, yes and no. That is a good analogy because I, my understanding is that when humans uh, are born blind, they begin to develop their, their acoustic abilities more and okay. touch more and, and other senses more. Um, with orcas and other dolphins and whales, uh, they are very uh, acoustically sensitive and very, very sophisticated in that way. But um, the way their, their brain processes sound and the way that relates to vision is, is very different than what it is in the human and even in the, the human who was born blind and, and develops acoustic abilities. So. We are starting out with very different maps of the brain, if you will. Okay, very nice. And in the neuroscience world, what is the most common way of obtaining cetacean brains for MRI scans and just studies in general? Well, in terms of dolphin and whale brains, orca brains, for instance, they're they're so big. Um, there, it's there have been very very few studies where they've taken the brains and and actually sliced them up and put them on microscope slides <laughs> because they're so big. Um, all the brains that we've studied and my colleagues have studied in this country and in Europe are from uh, dolphins and whales who have uh, been euthanized because they've stranded on a beach and they were beyond help or they've died in captivity. Uh, we, we could not and would not do anything to, you know, anything like um, uh, sacrificing a dolphin oh, of course, or of course. whale uh, for that process. Um, so it's always post-mortem. And so we want to make sure that the brains are really fresh. And, you know, when I was at Emory University, I would be getting FedEx packages all the time. And, and inside those FedEx boxes would be the brains of dolphins and whales coming in from all over the country on the coast. Wow. Uh, and the quickest way to get them to me was FedEx. And I'd put them in solution and fix them so that they were, you know, sturdy enough. And then go to the, go to the hospital and put them in an MRI scanner and get some gorgeous slides out of that. So really wow. scanning, uh, electron, you know, scanning is really uh, the way that we've come to know uh, the, the orca brain and the cetacean brain in general, because it allows us to do 
a lot of things that you can't do if you just simply slice the brain up. Sure. And you can, yeah, man, that's so amazing. That's such a cool career path. And I mean, all of the information that, you know, has led us up to here, that's so huge. It's made such a difference in the marine mammal world. Well, it was a bit of an animal, uh, an ambulance chaser, if you will, <laughs> um, you know, because if uh, I would never want to see a dolphin or a whale uh, strand or die. But if, if that did happen, I always wanted to get the brain. <laughs> You're like, I must have that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so the study in 2001, you and a co-author um, did studies on dolphins for self-awareness. How does one test a dolphin for self-awareness? Well, the, luckily, the, the test for dolphin self-awareness uh, was based upon uh, the test for uh, chimpanzee uh, self-awareness that my former uh, PhD advisor Gordon Gallup developed, and he was the first person to show that an, another species is capable of recognizing itself in the mirror, and that was chimpanzees. So uh, for many years, Diana Reese and I uh, pursued this question in bottlenose dolphins, captive bottlenose dolphins, and eventually we came up with a paradigm, a protocol that was something that we felt was really definitive. So the basics is that you, you know, expose the dolphin to a mirror and you look at their reaction and typically they respond like it's another dolphin um, or they may just get bored of it or they may use it, use the mirror to check parts, check themselves out. And that's what we saw. And then once we saw that, we were able to do a series of tests where we marked them on different parts of the body and we saw that once we marked them, they would go straight to the mirror and expose that part of the body, the marked part to, part, to the mirror. So when you do this in a number of different ways and use the proper controls, it becomes extremely convincing that these animals are using the mirror to check out marks on different parts of their body, and that's mirror self-recognition. Let's take that and then versus, because my dog doesn't understand mirrors at all. So for example, if she sees herself in the mirror, she barks at it because she thinks it's somebody else. She thinks it's another dog. So yes. versus that. So then we know that they actually are be like, hey, there's something on my arm, just like we do in the morning when we check ourselves out in the morning in the mirror. Exactly, exactly. Perfect. And, and when I present it on this, I call it the zit response. Yep. <laughs> right? Because we all know what that is. And that's exactly what uh, chimpanzees do when they're marked while they're asleep and they get up and they see themselves in the mirror with the mark on their forehead. Um, that's exactly what they do. Um, now, with dolphins, it's different. They don't have hands. But what they do do is they position themselves so that they can see the mark in the mirror. And so... For instance, if you would mark them under one of the pectoral fins, they would go up to the mirror immediately and turn upside down to see underneath uh, the pectoral fin. Uh, that's an example. So they, they are able to show us even though they don't have hands. <laughs> that's so cool. So one of the main things I wanted to talk about um, was the Whale Sanctuary Project. You are the founder of the Whale Sanctuary Project. Um, what was the inspiration for the project and how did you find the project members? Well, the inspiration for the Whale Sanctuary Project came because uh, many, many of us in the marine mammal scientific community knew that 
there was uh, that, that dolphins and whales living in concrete tanks and marine parks uh, had very poor welfare. They were dying early. They were dying often. They were dying of infectious diseases. Something was wrong. Something doesn't work for them. And uh, many of us knew that. And when you look around, you see sanctuaries for elephants and chimpanzees and bears and big cats, everybody uh, who come from zoos and circuses and so forth. And they, and they can be very successful when done correctly. So the idea was to take these two ideas that we need to have, uh, we need to do better for dolphins and whales who are in captivity. And why not find a way to um, create authentic sanctuaries for them as they have been for other captive animals? And so uh, in 2016, uh, we founded, I founded the uh, Whale Sanctuary Project. And that started with just a series of meetings with uh, various people, uh, colleagues and friends of mine who were like-minded. And uh, eventually we incorporated in 2016 and we brought on uh, an executive director, Charles Vinnick. We have a board, we have over 50 advisors. Wow. Um, and pretty much everyone that I've asked to join has said yes, because people recognize that something more, something has to be done for dolphins and whales, particularly Absolutely. orcas who are living in concrete tanks right now. They're not doing very well. And I feel like it's a different world too. I feel like, especially with, I mean, you guys just did a webinar about, you know, Keiko and, yep. you know, he kind of started everything as well. But then even recently now we have, um, I do believe they were just released back into Iceland, um, little gray and little white, the beluga yes. whales. I do believe it's from China. Yes. And so this would be, so you guys picked a spot um, in Port Hilford, uh, Nova Scotia. So would this be the first um, like North American sanctuary spot? Yes, it would be. It would be the first uh, sanctuary in North America for belugas and orcas. And uh, we are focusing on beluga whales, but we are also um, considering uh, orcas as well. Those two species, belugas and orcas, do the worst in the concrete tanks. So uh, we really felt compelled to do something for them. There's another effort underway uh, through the National Aquarium in Baltimore, and they're creating a sanctuary for the seven bottlenose dolphins that they currently have. Wow. Uh, and so we're all working together to create successful alternatives to living in tanks for a number of different cetaceans. That's amazing. The whole world is changing, and I'm glad yeah, that everybody's getting on board. It really is a movement. And, you know, sanctuary is, is a way of giving back to these animals what we've taken from them. And we've taken a lot. <laughs> we have. We absolutely have. Um, so was this, um, were there some qualifications that this site offered that others did not? Yes, we actually looked, Kaylin, for two and a half years. And it was, um, we started on desktop, on Google Maps, and then we went on foot. And we went uh, all the way up and down the Pacific Northwest Coast. We went to the San Juan Islands. We went to British Columbia. And then we went to uh, Nova Scotia on the, on the other coast. And although it was... Uh, a great time and 
we saw a lot of beautiful places and beautiful potential sites. You know, we, it, it isn't as easy as you would think. You have to find one that has the right physical criteria. It has to be deep enough. It has to be protected enough from storms. It has to have the right temperature range and, and so forth. Can't be near any sort of uh, pollution or anything of that nature. But in addition to that, you have to find a community, a local community who embraces the project, who really thinks it's a great idea and wants it to be there. And that's more difficult. I mean, people love whales, but it's another thing to say, well, we're gonna put a whale sanctuary where you do your boating and your fishing and your all of that stuff. And we didn't wanna have an impact on anyone's livelihood. So, you know, it took, it took a while, but we eventually found uh, this site, Port Hilford, and it's a big, beautiful, expansive bay. And um, not only that, but uh, right next door is a beautiful community called Sherbrooke. And the people of Sherbrooke have absolutely fallen in love with our project. We have fallen in love with them. <laughs> and, um, and we are so happy to work with them uh, because this can't work unless the local community embraces it. And they have um, they have a Facebook page where they do all kinds of events, whale camp, and all kinds of great things. So it's because those two things converged, came together, that allowed us to to make this announcement that Port Hilford is where we'll we're going to be going for a permit. That's amazing. I'm so glad to hear yeah. that. I, re I remember, I do believe it was when I watched Long Gone Wild, I was like, I need to know there's going to be a spot. I know it has to happen. <laughs> and then it was uh, earlier this year and I was like, they finally found a spot. Yeah, <laughs> I was so excited. I was surprised because if you look at the coast of North of uh, Nova Scotia, that, that coast, I mean, you, we looked at it and we said, there has to be <laughs> several places where we could make a site. And You'd be surprised once you start going through all the criteria and once you add in the community component, it's it's a lot more difficult. So we we feel very fortunate. Oh, that's so amazing. And I'm so happy for you guys as well. Thank you. Um, so what can we expect now that the site has been selected? Right now we are engaged in permitting. And uh, what that means is that we have to get a permit to develop the site, to lease the site as a sanctuary. And that involves a lot of scientific data uh, and other aspects of application. Uh, we are looking at in depth now all of the different aspects of that site, the water quality, biodiversity, temperature, salinity, you know, just everything. We have to know everything there is to know about Port Hilford and particularly in the area that we want to create the fenced, the netted off area, which will be the sanctuary. So we have a team members on the ground. Of course, uh, I have not been able to go to Nova Scotia since February. And neither oh, yeah. has our executive director because of COVID. So, you know, things, things, we are doing a lot of things on Zoom, but we're lucky that we have scientists uh, in Nova Scotia who are collecting a lot of the on the water data for us that we need. And we're also, you know, reaching out to the veterinary and 
scientific community in the Maritimes uh, to make sure that we cover all of the bases in terms of um, risks associated with bringing uh, whales into the area and for both wildlife as well as the, the residents of the sanctuary. So a lot of work to do and it's moving along. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm, and I, I feel like when I was younger, when Keiko was released back in Iceland, I feel like I just seen, hey, we're moving him. He's rehabilitated now. Now we're going to move him back. Now he's a wild whale. But growing up and, you know, even just hearing what you're saying as well, the permits, you know, all sorts of data on wildlife and the, the place itself, that's got to be extremely frustrating <laughs> just to be like, hey, we have a spot. Where are the whales at now? <laughs> It's a, it's a, I believe me, it's, this has been a much more difficult and long process than I thought, than any of us on our team thought. But, of course. But we are, you know, but we're, we've got a site now and that's really uh, the most important first step. And now we can move forward. So, so we're, we're in a good place now. Awesome. And do any of the orcas or beluga whales have to have qualifications to be transferred to the sanctuary? Yes. Uh, not all uh, whales may be candidates. Uh, we will have to look at their, their age, their health, their immune system function. We will have to look at whether they're carrying any uh, pathogens that might be transmissible to wild whales and marine mammals. Um, we'll just need to do everything we can to ensure that the whales who come to the sanctuary are set up for success and that they are healthy and we minimize any risks. Um, so it's going to involve learning a lot about any candidate whales that, that we work with. And, and that means working with uh, trainers and veterinarians from the marine parks who will work with us, who, who want to transfer their whales to a sanctuary because they know the most about these whales. So we have to just know everything about them. Absolutely. Oh, so let's say that we do have the whales in the sanctuary. Everything went smooth. Everything went great. How does the project fund um, not only like the uh, quote-unquote trainers at that time and then like the veterinary staff and all of the workers? How, how, does, how would the sanctuary um, make money from that? Well, we are a nonprofit and would remain a nonprofit. So right now uh, we have capital costs of building, scoping out, building uh, – the, the site itself, and our capital costs are about 12 to $15 million. Wow. Then we will have ongoing costs that maintenance, salaries, uh, feeding the animals, all of that, of about $2 million a year for about six to eight beluga whales. So um, right now we, um, and so all of that is private donations, endowments, uh, philanthropy, et cetera. And, you know, as soon as, as we can, uh, as soon as things change in the world, hopefully soon, hopefully yeah. we will be able to do a lot more fundraising than we have in the past few months, because we haven't really been able to go anywhere and, and no one else has been able to. Um, but, uh, we, we will need several million dollars more in capital funding. 
Um, and then again, as I said, one and a half to two million uh, maintenance costs going forward. Wow. It it's just like having animals at home. You got to make sure they're all safe. You got to make sure they're taken exactly. care of. Got veterinary staff, all that good stuff. <laughs> well, we're gonna, exactly. We want this to be a model sanctuary. You know, it, it has to have be a gold standard. It has to be done right. Uh, not only for the animals who are in there, but for the whole sanctuary movement and to show that this is that authentic authentic sanctuaries for dolphins and whales are viable, that they're feasible, that they are a good alternative to the tanks. And so we are being very, very careful. And uh, and that, you know, that just takes time and money. Absolutely. Yeah. And I actually, I think that was all of my questions other than um, how can Orca Nerd and the audience members um, help the project? Thank you for asking. Well, you can go to our site, www.whalesanctuary.org, and you can take a look at what we're doing, take a look at our team, check out our blogs and our information. Um, and of course, uh, if you can, uh, please donate to, to, to help us and support us, uh, but also tell others about us, share our webinars, uh, just share uh, the news about what we're doing, and uh, ask everyone to uh, become a, a subscriber and just follow us as, and we will, you know, we, we're always posting upgrades, we're always posting information about progress. So I think that would be uh, the best thing that anyone can do who's listening. Fantastic. Yeah. You, every day I get up on Facebook and right before to work and I, I always see, it's always like Whale Sanctuary Project. Hey, we're doing this and look at this. And it's amazing. To, it's I love social media so much just because, you know, I grew up in, in the middle of Illinois. I love orcas, always have. And there wasn't a lot of information back in the day. You know, it was just right. always like, oh, look, Free Willy's on TV again. You know, that's about it. So I'm so glad for social media. And that will um, be linked down at the in the description box for you guys just to double check. And I'll also link um, the Facebook group on the Orca Nerd Podcast Facebook as well. So we'll get all of that shared. That's that's wonderful. And, and uh, you know, it's wonderful what you're doing, Kaylin, just bringing okay. news about orcas and cetaceans uh, to, to, to the world. So it's it's a pleasure. Awesome. Well, well, thank you so much for answering all of my questions. And I hope we can have you guys on here again, um, hopefully to. when everything moves forward. So yeah, thanks for reaching out. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. All right, hon. Well, I guess we shall talk to you soon. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.